Now with Amper, we're kind of on track to get what we wanted. I will tell you one thing that we did get out of it that never crossed my mind is we were having a personnel issue where a person on second shift was taking an hour lunch instead of (laughs) a half an hour lunch. Are you guys ready for IMTS? Nick, I am stoked. And I just got back from California, so I really wanted to use that word. There you go. I like it. That's rad. I am for sure. I can't wait. Okay. So how prepared are you? Do you know what's where in this big McCormick place? I don't. Why don't you help me out with it, Nick? All right. I'll take the first three. So the first three, additive manufacturing, that's in the West building. Abrasive machining and sawing, that's in the North building. Controls and CAD cam, that's in the East building. Yep. And then fabricating and lasers are in the North building. Gear generation is also in the North building. And machine components, cleaning and environmental, East. Yeah, and the last three are my favorites. Metal removal is in the South Building. Quality Assurance is in the East Building. And finally, where I spend most of my time, the tooling and work holding is in the West Building. You bet. Awesome. Don't forget to download the app to find out where all these at. There's a map in there. IMTS.com is also another great place to start. Register now. And you can plan your whole show right from the app. Jim, do you ever get sick of the Making Chips theme song? You know, I don't, actually. I know. You love it more than all of us. I I do. Well, I was the guy that picked it, right? And you know, I like that thud, 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 thud. So yes, I like it a lot. I could dance to it. But do you ever want something new? Yeah, but I'd have to hear it first before I swap it out. It would have to get the blood pumping, right? It would have, definitely. Well, let's hear it one more time. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts. Let's make some chips. Welcome to Making Chips. I'm your host, Nick Golner, and monitoring me very closely is my partner, my friend, Jim Carr. Hey, What's Nick. Up, I'm not monitoring you that closely. <laughs> I, would, I, I would do like a segue. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to be talking about monitoring. So I'm not watching you that closely, but definitely I'm keeping my eye on you for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we talked about the theme doing? song. Yeah. And I'm not just joking here. I think there might be some new songs coming in the future. You think so? I, I do. All I right. Do. You want to tell the Making Chips Metalworking Nation audience what's in the in the queue for us? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Well, l- let's use a story from your life first to kind of bring that in. So we talked yesterday on a Sunday. We did. We're, we're recording work. on a Monday. We usually don't do that. So right. we were working over the weekend. That's okay. Everybody's working for the weekend. weekend. And you have this huge customer. I do. And you're working on a big opportunity. And there's basically some impossible deadlines. Impossible deadlines. So I'm going to have to tell them with tears coming out of my eyes that (laughs) it's not realistic at all. And your shop is totally different than it used to be. Totally different. And so would it be even close to possible to do what you need to do without the gains from lights out unintended machining? Absolutely not. Exactly. Absolutely not. And that is the segue. Go ahead. Lights out. Making chips lights out. That's going to be my new individual show concept. And that's really it. What are you going to talk about? So the mission of Making Chips is to equip and inspire manufacturing leaders. Right. And we do that well. And this is going to be kind of derivative. So it's going to be to equip and inspire manufacturing leaders to automate and elevate. So grow their business through automation. 
It's something that if you want to stay competitive in the long term, you're going to have to do it. You have to. Recently, I, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but I was at a friend's robo job on yeah. a panel doing a panel discussion. I said, I remember in the 80s when we had this shift from manual machining to CNC machining, and it was like this really big paradigm shift and everything. It just changed our businesses. Mm -hmm. I truly believe that automation, mm -hmm. physical automation and other automation that we're going to talk about today is going to significantly make another paradigm shift in our industry. Like from manual to CNC. Like from manual. That's, but but that's, another one. Right. That's the only way I can articulate it yeah. is it was so profound back then. And I see the same thing happening right now in our time, mm -hmm. that it's going to be that profound. Yeah, I think I need to kind of apologize to our audience. I announced my individual show yes. as something different than Lights Out. It was going to be about the mindset of an OEM. We're going to be talking to an OEM, a product manufacturer today. Mm -hmm. But my business is heading more and more into automation and helping customers with machining automation, not just from the workholding perspective like we've typically done, but you mentioned RoboJob. We've got other partners with yeah. automated pallet delivery. And those are really the conversations that I want to be having. So I'm kind of calling an audible. It's going to be making chips lights out. It'll be coming to you end of this year. Yeah, be careful what you say. End of this year, early yeah. next year. You don't want to have to commit too much. Well, hey, I'm not the only one committing to something. So tell us what you've got going on. My story? Yeah. Okay. You've got a new thing coming too, I right? do. I do. So, you know, we've been talking about this for a while and I don't want to talk about it too much, but everyone knows that listens to the show and knows me, knows I've been in the industry for a long time. It's crazy to say that I've got a lot of wisdom, but I do. And as I've seen over these decades in our industry, I grew up reading blueprints mm -hmm. and machining to GD&T. And recently in the last five to 10 years, I've seen the GD&T become much more sophisticated, much more complex. And now the engineers of today are putting on GD&T on our prints that we read from and machine to that it just would not have been possible to check without Sophisticated equipment. Yeah, technology sure. like CMMs. So recently, we were having a conversation with a customer, and we'd start talking about true position mm -hmm. and what it means and how close of a tolerance is and what datums it comes off of. And I really liked that fact. I liked that word, true position, because it represents a manufacturing term. But I also like it because when you say, I have a true position on something, it's my opinion. Your it's convictions. My stance, my yeah. convictions. So my new show is going to be called True Position. Love it. And it's going to be more introspective than this particular show. I'm going to talk about my years in the industry. I'm going to talk about what I've learned and not learned and about taking chances and implementing your passions into your own respective careers. Just those type of things. I will have guests, but for the most part, I think it's just going to be me talking to the metal Sharing your, your, your position yeah, on a particular so, topic. So I'm pumped about that. I, I think too. it's going to be awesome. My true position coming out soon. Sure. So. Okay. So here's another thing we do every show. What's that? Almost every show. We talk about manufacturing news. All right. Keep it short because I want to get to these guests. I know. I know. And I'm excited about this because it's the Kiplinger letter. You love the Kiplinger I'm, letter. I'm like all about it right now. How did you start reading that? Where do you get that information? Just off the Google? No, it, I think you have to subscribe to it, but okay. it shows up in my inbox. It? Yeah, I think our company does. Oh, okay. I think you have to pay for it. I don't know, but it shows up in my inbox okay. and I'm always so busy and I haven't been reading it, but I've been reading it lately and it's really good. What'd you learn? There was a special on business costs in 2023 and it came out- On 2023? So they're yeah. anticipating huge increases? Right, so, you, so you can plan. So I'm going to read from that. Okay, cool. Expect a slow growing economy next year. Mm. How slow? 
It depends. It depends on whether the U.S. slips into a mild recession. Mm-hmm. Chances are equal as of now of either a 1.1% GDP increase or a half-year recession with 0.5% growth. The U.S. housing sector is already slowing down, while economic troubles in Europe and China will hurt U.S. exports next year. Retail inventories are still quite high. Note, one result of slower growth, it could help ease the ongoing shortage of workers. So That's always been a problem. Yeah, but we brought this up in a different piece of news, but I don't think this recession is going to hit manufacturing as hard as other sectors because everyone's focused on, I mean, it just mentioned economic troubles in Europe and China, and a lot of that's connected to the Russia-Ukraine situation and the energy issues over there and even our issues with China. And the military. Right. So like we have to control our own destiny a little bit more. We do. And so I think that means reshoring, nearshoring more domestic manufacturing. So so just let's get the highlights of this. They sure. say that there could potentially be a mild recession in Q4 2022. We're kind of already in one, but manufacturers are I don't talking about it. it a lot and we're not seeing that much of it. Yeah, so. I've got a record year. Yeah, exactly. So the next point, inflation has already peaked and should gradually diminish. Yep, it is starting to come down a little bit. So in late spring of 2023, expect the inflation rate to be between 3 and 4%, which is... It was up over 8 over the summer, right? right? So a welcome development there. Yeah. Then the next one is corporate profits will follow GDP. So in a recession, they will likely fall 4%, but otherwise they should stay positive. Higher labor costs figure to ding profits, but many companies will be able to get price hikes to stick by citing cost increases. So I've kind of foreshadowed on the last show that Mm -hmm. I'm going to be doing an entire episode on selling the price increase, which is the exact title of a book I'm reading right now. Cool. But you know, one thing my brother always says is the link in the supply chain that doesn't pass on the price increase is the link that fails. Oh, interesting. I mean, our costs are all going up and every day my sales team needs to be confident in delivering a, a price increase every once in a while. Yeah. Do you think that they were talking, you know, I have a recession obsession, but do you, know, th- do you think that it was overbloated? Like everyone thought, oh, this is going to be a really bad one. And now that we've kind of corrected inflation a little bit, that it's, yeah. they're saying now it's just going to be a little bit mild, a little blip on the radar. I'm not as damaged as some of the people who've been through so many recessions. Yeah. And I was going through oh, it's I was just me. a little kid and I didn't yeah. really know, yeah. you know, oh, what it meant. But I do remember 08 being like, wow, my dad was really stressed. But I think that overall, like I said, I think manufacturing is not going to feel it as much as some of the other sectors. And I think that people get excited and fear mongering or whatever you want to call it in the industry about how bad they're going to be. And again, like you can control what you can control. And so focus on those things and, yeah. and have a positive attitude there. There's a couple other points to the article, but let's just move in. I want to introduce the guests. So Kiplinger Letter, a great resource for executives. We have two guests today. Would you introduce them for me? Yeah, Nick, we have two guests today. And I just want to say again, it's really cool that we're here at our headquarters in Rockford. It feels really good. And it was a beautiful drive out here today, man. Really? It was. The sun's nice. out. I'm in a good mood. I feel good. I worked out today. And and the sun's not in your eyes. I get to go eyes. on vacation on Saturday with you're, my wife. you're driving... Um, I'm going west. You're going west. When I drive to you, the sun's in my eyes. Oh, yeah. Time. I can see why that would be a problem. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, we have two guests in our Making Ships Rockford studio today, and i um, very excited to talk to them. Well, one is a return guest, and we'll get to him in a minute. But our first guest is a gentleman that grew up in manufacturing and a family-owned Sounds business. familiar? Here, it sure does. <laughs> it resonates with me really well. He's an experienced manufacturing executive with multifaceted 
skill sets throughout the entire company, like we all do. Mm -hmm. He's got experience in human resource, sales, marketing, web development, SEO, production, quality, shipping, receiving, facilities, maintenance, and most importantly, lean manufacturing, which we all know is very important, especially now as all of us are, the competition is heating up. Mm -hmm. And then AS9100 auditor training and internal audit training. Those are just two of the highlights of his multifaceted skill set. Yeah. I mean, it's like the whole business really. So please welcome Tom Schrader from PBC Linear. Tom, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, yeah we're excited. I'm, I'm going to put you on pause for a minute, and I'm going to introduce our other guest who is going to dovetail into your conversation. He's no stranger to making chips. He is the powerhouse behind the brand at Amper Technologies in Chicago, Illinois, and the founder of that machine monitoring systems, Akshad Therani. Akshad. Hey, Jim. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. We love when you're here because you always have something good to add and it, you can really equip and inspire our audience to make changes in their business and make more money. So, Tom, getting back to you, tell us a little bit about the family dynamics because, you know, all of us, Akshat, I know, has grown up with manufacturing in his blood. Nick, third gen, yeah. Third gen. I'm second gen manufacturing. My son, Ryan, is in the business. So, we get it. We understand it. And most of our audience does too. But I'd like to hear a little bit about your story. So like you guys, I grew up in the family business. I'd like to say if you go check my HR folder or my personnel folder, my first application is when I was seven. I love you know, that. We, uh, <laughs> we'd get pulled in on the weekend to help do bulk mailings or put together samples, things like that, get paid an ice cream type of deal. Ice cream. So, I yeah. love that. <laughs> so really did grow up in the family business when I was in high school. I would intern at the family company over the summer. College, I interned most of my years at the family company during the summers. And then when I moved back to Rockford full-time about 14 years ago, I started full-time at the company. Nice. So your first job was helping with mailings? Yeah, bulk My mailings. first job was mowing the, the yard we just walked through. <laughs> and, and, I, and I remember cutting down this little tree on accident. I mowed over it. And my grandfather, our founder, is like all about these trees. So. Oh, is that right? <laughs> I don't think he's ever been more pissed at me. <laughs> <laughs> But one other thing. So you mentioned interning at your family yep. business when you were in college. And we all go through, we get our education, but we kind of know where we're going to mm. end up. So for me, I was always negotiating with my professors like, hey, can I do my capstone project on this thing I'm doing mm -hmm. with work so I could get like the two for one special? <laughs> right. Were you doing any of that? Or So my senior year, I took an entrepreneurship class where we had to pitch a business and essentially uh, got my team to buy into creating a project of developing our real estate portfolio. <laughs> I love that. For oh, the wow. roughly 50 acres that we sit on. That's so, awesome. See, that's a perfect example. It's yep. like, let's let's try to get some real value out of this instead of it being all theoretical. Okay, so speaking of the family business, we were talking with Akshat earlier and he, he was telling us how cool he thinks PBC Linear is because you've moved from a product manufacturing company to now more of a, a technology OEM. Yeah. Maybe you can kind of tell us that. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, so we have a goal to basically double the size of business in the next five years. Ugh. And last, uh, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So last year we grew almost 30%, actually a little over 30%. And we only added 3% to our direct labor. So we have the last couple of years made it our mission to invest in technology, invest in automation, 
everywhere from the practical to the bleeding edge. Mm -hmm. So we are basically looking at how do we lay the foundation so that we can double the size of the business without doubling the headcount. Sure. So whether it's a CNC with built-in automation, whether it's utilizing a cobot, whether it's utilizing 3D printers, we're dabbling in augmented reality for work instructions. Wow. We're in the process of procuring a 5.6 million flexible manufacturing system that will be starting to take delivery right after IMTS. Is it for a lay, the mill? It's four CNC mills hooked up to a 90 pallet change system with wow. roughly a 1500 tool change system. Is it Fastums? No, it's not Fastums. It's a company called MCM. Literally, okay. our machine will be in the booth at MCM. That's very cool. IMTS. Yeah. That's speaking my language right now. What is it exactly? So it is a flexible manufacturing system. It's four horizontal CNC mills. Oh, there we go. Yep. That's what that's that was the missing part in my brain that I yep. didn't see. Okay, go ahead. So it's four horizontal CNC mills hooked up to a 90 pallet change system. It also has a tool change system with a central tool storage of let's just say the whole thing holds roughly 1500 tools. Okay. Wow. So it also has a built-in wash station, but one thing that we like about this system is we already have it designed, whereas over in the next coming years, we can add up to four more machines to the system and expand the pallet rack system. Oh boy, sounds like an episode of Lights Out. <laughs> uh, horizontally, actually. Oh, oh, the pallet system will yeah. go horizontal? Yes. Okay. See how interesting this is? We're going to make a point to do a whole episode on this. Yeah. Is it like a gantry system or... It's basically like, if you think of like a two-story wall of pallet holders with an RGV that goes and picks the pallets up and brings them to the load station or brings them to the machine. Got it. And did I hear you correctly, Tom, and you said it's $5.6 million investment? Yeah, that's just for the machine, not even installation and tooling wow. and all of that. Wow. wow. So it's quite the expense, but we're making a heavy investment in the business to grow the business. Sure. I and mean, we're looking at this as really a 20-year asset mm -hmm. for us. Absolutely. So let me ask you, back to what we just talked about. So mm -hmm. you're a product manufacturing company, yeah. kind of moving into more of a technology yeah. OEM. Can, yeah. you, can you kind of describe that transition and then the role that you play in it? So from the product manufacturing, we have our standard products, right? And we have kind of three business models within the business, which makes it very difficult for day-to-day -day operations. <laughs> yeah. We have our catalog standard products that they're commodity type products. So you basically make to stock the shelf, right? And then we have, uh, you could call it a modified standard or a smart part number, kind of a make to order where a fair amount of our products are length-based. So if you think of a mechanical actuator, one customer might want a foot of stroke length. The next customer might want two feet of stroke length. Mm -hmm. They're all individual SKUs, right? But they're built with standard components. So that's the second side of the business. Then we have the true engineer to order, where we take one of our core competencies and put it in a very unique shape to specifically fit the customer application. Sure. So we just did statistics on what we produced in 2021. Roughly 13.5% of the individual SKUs that we 
shipped made 80% of our revenue. So we are a very much a high mix, low volume yeah. business. Yeah. 13.5% of the SKUs created 80% of the revenue. Right. Yeah, I get it. Right. And so you're, you're designing a product that's then specced into some other OEM's design. Right. And now every time they make one, you sell one. Right. Exactly. Sure. Exactly. So trying to manage that side of it, we've got to get more efficient. We've mm-hmm. got to lay the foundation for growth. And this isn't 20, 30 years ago where you could just throw bodies at it. The labor, the labor supply was there and it was endless. We got to do more with less. Mm -hmm. And especially as the, the older generation is retiring, you know, that's leaving a significant gap. And how do you manage that? You got to manage it with technology. You got to manage it with business processes, systems, software, and hardware to help get you through this hurdle that's coming at us. So we've made investments in our ERP software. We've brought in technology like Amper to help us keep track of things. We're bringing in, obviously, the capital assets, the the equipment, Mm -hmm. uh, all to help us grow, sustain that growth, and make good business decisions while we're doing it. It sounds like you're on the right track. I have to admit, I'm feeling it. I really am because I get it because we're going through that too, not quite to that level, but I, everything you just said, I could not agree mm-hmm. with you more. So, and you must be a veteran with podcasting because you're segueing perfectly. Into the, <laughs> yes, like, I, like he's just, it's like he has our show structure right yeah, in front of him. Exactly. But, um, so, you know, the, automation the, the, technology, right. Yes. I mean, the focus of the show is connecting machine monitoring with leadership and clearly mm-hmm. you're one of the operational leaders th- at the business. And you were telling me earlier. My job, in a nutshell, is getting the product out the door. So where first did you hear about Amper? And I guess maybe even before that, like what inspired you to look for a machine monitoring solution? If I were to leave my desk and go try to see if every single piece of our equipment is running, it would take me a half an hour. We just, have just we, to physically walk just the to floor. Physically walk the floor. Mm-hmm. We have over 170,000 square feet of manufacturing floor space. Wow. So how can you possibly know if things are running? If you've got that much space, that much equipment, that many people, how can you know if they're running efficiently? Mm -hmm. So that's where we started to look into machine monitoring. So we actually started with a a different company, not Amper. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Ah. We wouldn't be with Amper if they they did a great job, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I won't mention names. No, um, no, no. We're, we're not here to do so, that. We're, tar- we're talking about success stories. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So here's the challenge. Like a lot of manufacturers, we have equipment of various ages, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the new softwares, um, the new programs are heavily based on We'll just plug a Ethernet cable into it and they've got all the built in sensors because it's new equipment. It, sure. You got all the sensors and things like that. Well, for us, we have equipment anywhere from literally purchased this year, last year, all the way up to one of the oldest machines in our shop is an ID grinder from literally the World War I era. So how do you possibly pull metrics off of a machine that's basically belt-driven in an electrical cabinet? Do you know the brand of that grinder? Don't remember oh, off the I just, top of I my head. I love those old brands. You can but... barely, it, it's so <laughs> worn out. You can barely see the name plate on it anymore. <laughs> wow. We had so, we had an old IDOD grinder. It was a yep. Grissetti. It was an Italian IDOD mm-hmm. grinder, and it was the same thing. Yeah, it wasn't World War One. Yeah, but it was old. Yeah. It was old. 
So go ahead. And you needed something that was going to work for all of your machinery, not just your new machinery. Right. right. We needed something that was going to be efficient for all the equipment. But then also you're looking at implementation, Mm -hmm. right? And we started to do a trial run with this, this company and installation on one machine was at its quickest four hours. So when we're looking at hooking up over, and it took a team, like three to four people. With, the, hook, with the prior company? With the, the prior company yeah. to hook up that one piece of equipment. And that was probably equipment. not free? No, it was not free. <laughs> you had at least how many pieces of equipment? You didn't so, I was waiting for that. So when you're looking at, if we were to hook up every single piece of our production equipment, save for like benchtop grinders and things like that, you know, saws, mills, lathes, straightening equipment, heat treat, all that kind of stuff. We were, we'd probably have to hook up over 140 different pieces of equipment. Yeah. Times four. Times four at the minimum. Four hours each. One took two days. So how do you manage those resources? You can't have a full-time team doing that for six months, right? Mm -hmm. So it became very difficult and it became very difficult with the previous system, having to research every single piece of equipment, trying to dig out the old maintenance man- manuals oh for something that was made in the 70s or 80s. So that's when we were on a, I was on a TMA call and Akshat kind of reached out to me and we started talking and we ended up doing a kind of a free trial on two pieces of equipment. It took like 10 minutes to get them up and running and then we started collecting the data and then we got hooked up to the website and we were starting to see things so we kind of stepped back and we were running these two trials of these two different companies at the same time and we're like oh okay so you were running on parallel we we're running in parallel oh, okay like, this okay. one wasn't going so well oh that's even Akshat better. just happened to contact me at just the right time and we started running a trial on this other company amper So we were running them and we were just kind of stepping back and saying, okay, ease of implementation, Amper won out, hands down, no question. 10 minutes is pretty quick. 10 minutes is pretty quick. Yeah. So we just looked at what's the total cost, not just the software costs, but all in, all in boots on the ground, getting everything hooked up and Amper won out on it. It was much simpler for us to hook up, especially the older pieces of equipment and start pulling data off of them quickly. So that's the reason why we went with Amper. And right now we have 100 machines hooked up to them right now. That was my question. Wow. I was waiting for you to say it. So this is a nice segue. And let's get in the weeds a little bit with... I have a question. Well, no, I have a question before we go to this. You go first. Because I'm writing these down and I want to make sure I get them in. So before you even went with the other company, Mm -hmm. what was the objective in measuring and monitoring. Obviously, you, like you just said, mm-hmm. you couldn't walk 170,000 square feet. It would take you a half an hour to mm-hmm. walk it, and you'd probably get pulled over right. 10 times, and it would end up taking right. an hour and a half, right? right? So you know there's a problem there, you know, or you know you need to collect this data, mm-hmm. but why? So I'm a very... Good question, yeah. ...data-driven type of person, and... We're, as part of that, laying that foundation of how do we grow? How do we expand? You can't manage your business with spreadsheets. And our ERP system was lacking Mm -hmm. when it comes to pulling data off the shop floor. So I couldn't tell you how many hours a piece of equipment ran very easily. It would take a lot of crunching. It 
it wasn't accessible when I needed it. I couldn't tell you how many hours our machine was down. I couldn't tell you how many hours we could have been running a machine if we had material or if we had a person. I didn't have any of that information. And when, let's say, we were running a Saturday shift for overtime, I could stop in, see if things are running, but I'd come in Monday morning and I'd ask, how'd the weekend run go? Oh, well, and good. Well, what does that mean? Yeah, by what <laughs> right? standard, right? Yeah. How many parts did we run? You know, how many hours were we running? We do this thing called, we have some bar fed lays mm-hmm. and we call it load and goes. So you set on Friday afternoon, you set up for a long running job. Of course. You throw a bunch of bars in the machine before second shift goes home. They do the exact same thing. You're getting all that lights out time. You get all that lights out time. And then you come in Saturday and you basically just have to reload the machine, check some parts, clear chips and load the machine and go away. Yeah. <laughs> right? right. So load, load, the bar go, feed. load the bar feed and go away essentially. So in two and a half hours of machine or like labor time, you can get six to eight hours of runtime, right? Mm-hmm. Or more maybe. Or more. Yeah. Uh, depending on the part. Right. But quantitatively, how did we do without me going into the system? Yeah, so theoretically you can achieve that, but how do you know if you actually did it? Right. How well did we do sure. doing it? Right. Sure. That and our ERP system, I couldn't exactly tell you how many hours was this machine down this year? How many hours did we lose because we didn't have a headcount to run the machine? So none of this data was accessible. Or like, why was it down? Like, what was the reason? Exactly. Exactly. Why was it down? Was it a maintenance issue? Was it a tooling issue? There's so many reasons. So we didn't have any of this data. And then also at the end of the year, when we were looking at, okay, what's going to be our capital spend for the following year, right? A lot of it is we're launching a new product line. We got to get this piece of equipment to make this product. But some of it is what machines are struggling, what machines are bottlenecked. And that was all coming from talking with like the managers. What did they think? Mm -hmm. There was no data behind it. There was no, this machine cost us 50 hours of maintenance time this year, right? So we didn't have that. And I wanted to be able to gather information, present it to the board and say, here are top five machines that ran the most number of hours. Maybe we need to look for a backup for these or here are top five worst machines that were down for the most number of hours. Yeah, just make more informed business decisions. Right, make more informed business decisions so that we get the right equipment when we need it. So that was your main objective going into it. That's what you thought you were going to get. Right, right. That's what I was going after. You know where the the next question is, and Nick, I'm sorry. No, if, no, yeah, ju- go I ahead. I just see Akshat chomping at the bit here. Well, he can wait. <laughs> <laughs> He's been on the show before. He's been on the show before. <laughs> it's Tom's time. So, because we have Amper 2, yeah. and we had this predetermined ideology of what we thought we were going to get, mm-hmm. but we ended up completely wrong well we, not completely wrong but what we got was a lot more than we thought we were going to get and i just mm-hmm. want to hear the story about so you, i get it you're a numbers guy you, yeah you like numbers how long has it been running how much time are we saving what's happening on the shop floor without actually going out there and walking mm-hmm. so before we landed on amper the company that we were doing the trial with I had already talked to two other companies before them. So we kind of had a meetings beforehand. What do we want out of these types of softwares? What do we want to be able to measure? So um, and it was a cross-functional team for that. So we kind of had an idea of what we want to get out of it. 
Now with Amper, we're kind of on track to get what we wanted. I will tell you one thing that we did get out of it that never crossed my mind is we were having a personnel issue where a person on second shift was taking an hour lunch instead of (laughs) a half an hour lunch. And I was basically able to prove that he was doing that because guess what? Between, you know, seven and eight p.m., all of a sudden, his spindle stopped running for an hour. <laughs> right. When everyone else was yeah, there's all these hidden benefits. Funny how right? that works. Funny how that works, yes. right? But we have kind of have a skeleton crew on second shift. And how is one person going to know exactly where everyone is at at any given time? Right. So there was an unintended benefit right there sure. of the program. So, so Jim, with your permission, I'd like to. Yes. Bring, bring... Go right ahead. <laughs> Go right ahead. So thank you. Thank no, you, Sam. So I want to specifically get into the weeds a little bit about. So Akshat's a smart entrepreneurial business yeah. guy. And every time we talk, it's like... Powerhouse yeah, behind the brand. You know, he's he like reminds you of one of these like Stanford startup guys, right? But obviously you saw the market for machine monitoring and you saw a way to be different. And then we just heard from Tom, you know, the ease of implementation was like a huge advantage. So I would imagine that was intentional. You were strategically trying to make it easier. But this is a industry full of people who need to know like why stuff works and how it works. So what about Amper makes it easier to implement than the alternative? Yeah, it's a fascinating problem because factories are a signal rich environment. There's so much going on. There's so much data being generated, whether it's from an ERP system, whether it's from accounting system, anything you think about, there's so much data and Mm -hmm. it's a very dynamic floor. And so, you know, when I started the business, I was looking for all kinds of ways to collect as much data from from the shop floor as possible. That's kind of your first step. Let's look at what's even out there. And the first cut at the solution was PLC integration. And I think the challenge that we kept running into was that not every um, PLC out there or machine controller was able to easily get connected. Mm. I have a degree in computer science and even I had like a hard time like really understanding how to get some of these brands up and running. So I had this insight from a totally separate project that I was working on, which was electrical signals have a lot of data behind them. And it's a common denominator across all machines, whether it's a new machine, old machine, whether it's a molding machine, a CNC lathe. And it just was pretty obvious that if you want to kind of create a baseline and get started, like mm-hmm. this is definitely the fastest. So just um, going off the electrical draw to the machine. Yep. And it, I think like we, we always talk about spindle utilization because we're, we're about making chips, but can this work on any type of equipment, whether it has a spindle or not? Is that IDOD grinder that from World War One hooked up? Not that one. Okay. But we have other grinders hooked up. And that was actually a challenge for us because... We make steel and stainless steel shafts, right? Yeah. So a centerless OD grinder. Spindle's always running on that, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And when you're only grinding off tenths, you're not exactly getting much amperage draw when it's running. So there is a digital I.O. product Mm -hmm. that instead of doing the amp clamp around the spindle power cable, you can use the digital I.O. product where we just basically put uh, proximity switches on the outgoing material so you can tell when it's engaged oh so it's not exclusive to the the electrical current right. but sorry i cut you off there i just wanted to get that in yeah no but the yeah. really good because that would be the first thing in a lot of people's mind well what if it doesn't really change right. the current that much yeah so while we started with just electrical signatures uh, we've actually expanded our suite of sensor inputs okay it's by far the biggest deployments are with electrical signatures but as tom kind of mentioned you come into all kinds of interesting situations where a digital I.O. or, you know, other ways of more source of data might apply. And mm-hmm. so we've actually been expanding our 
IoT suite. And uh, really, the goal is to make it as easy as possible to connect anything. And I think it's been really exciting to see the kind of applications. Even in some of our customers, assembly operations can be tracked with you know, proximity sensors, light curtains. So we've kind of gone a little bit beyond that See, since that's we really last spoke. But, but it's like what a minimum viable product is for, right? You're like, how do I accomplish this in the easiest way? And then from there, you can iterate and add whatever new features you need to. So I really like that approach. Yeah, you know, one of the big constraints that I put into our designs where it has to be self-served, it has to be agnostic to the environment. And I think it comes like what, back... Meaning like it doesn't only work on Haas or only on exactly. this type of equipment or whatever. Yeah. When I started this business, I was like really inspired by having my dad in mind around him as a buyer. And like, as someone who I've seen run plants all my life, it's like, man, the moment you get a bunch of integrators and, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of complexity, it becomes suddenly inaccessible to most people. And it's, it's and such too a, expensive and a headache. And you always feel like you're getting screwed by one of the parties involved. Yeah. I mean, if you want to invest two, $3 million into a system, you know, there, there are plenty of companies out there that will happily take that. But I don't think most companies can come near to affording that kind of system. And so... Yeah, the goal is to make it as self-served, affordable, and easy to quickly get value out of. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so we've been expanding it. So we have the electrical signature-based technology, works on basically any machine that draws power when it's making parts. Yeah, There are cases like, you know, grinders where one addition to a proximity switch can kind of create a signal out of that as well. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just a quick, a quick question. I know we're getting a little close on time here. Weak car machine has Amper 2 on. I just want to see if there's parallels in how we use it that you're using it. Uh, good, I, good. Because I want to connect this to leadership. Yes. We, we got in the weeds of why you get it and how it works. But now let's like, this is to inspire leaders to make changes. Right. How are you doing it versus Tom? That's interesting for me. There's a couple other things. I mean, well, first of all, this is, story isn't about me. I don't want to tell but the But you're story. a user. so it's But valuable. I am a user. Yeah. Our thought process was like, we knew, we knew it was all setups, right? And it still is setups to this day, but we're working through it. You the mean thing your, is, your downtime was all setup yeah, related? Yeah. Because we're high mix, low volume. So we knew that it, all the setup time. And that was like the, we kept saying, oh my God, we know what our problem is. We just need to correct it. But until you have those numbers, you don't know where you're at. So once you have a number, that's your baseline. All you got to do is say, we're just going to improve incrementally, baby steps forward. Let's just get that number from 46 down to 45 or whatever. You know, we just need to start moving forward in a little bit. And that was the big reality of having this in, in our shop. In addition, the sales part of it. So when I'm prospecting and new customers come into my shop and I have that 75-inch monitor on the floor and it's scrolling through the three-axis, the four-axis, the five-axis, all-axis machines, and then they see, of course, the automation, the Mm -hmm. lights-out machines are the ones that are screaming green for 97% utilization. I just made that post on LinkedIn yesterday where the customer doesn't want to pay for anything that's not adding value to the product. Exactly. And when they see your shop and they see, oh, they actually monitor utilization, they utilize automation, they're thinking, I'm getting more value from this guy than the guy down the street who doesn't have that standard. Let me tell you, some of the big space companies are looking at you if you have this technology in your shop. I totally agree. I definitely want to put that out there. So a couple closing questions, Tom. How long have you had the Amper system running in your shop? So we've been using it almost a year this week. Okay. And 
you're obviously really happy. It's exceeded your expectations. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Are there any other things that we, me, or any of the metalworking nation, any of our audience needs to know how impressed you were with the results? Because it's really all about results. You're a technology person. You want to grow your company in that direction. We all do. I think we're getting more out of it than we anticipated. Mm -hmm. We basically did a long period of baseline and it may be true for us. I don't know if it's true for others, but the first time you see the numbers, it's kind of ugly. Mm -hmm. Yes, <laughs> it is. It makes you kind of step back and say, wow, are we really this bad? But one like, thing how is, are we making money? Like when right. wait, how are we, how are we making money? When you first woke up and you're right. like, oh gosh. Right. <laughs> when you see a department that the spindle utilization is 20%, you're like, oh my gosh, what, are we, what are we doing? I know. But you've got to understand your shop. You've got to understand your data. If I have a department where two guys are trying to keep eight machines running, they're never going to get 90%, especially if they're manually fed machines. Sure, right. You're never going to get 90% with two guys running that many machines, Right. It's not humanly possible. It's not humanly possible. Yes. So you either have to automate or you just have to understand their objective is not a percentage. Their objective is machine hours, right? So if I can get two guys to keep eight machines running, even if one sits while they're changing out parts, there's more hours out of the day that they will get than if they were just single piece loading into one machine. My last question was, has Amper changed your operational KPIs in any way? And you literally just answered it. So it's it's really reinforcing, you're about productive machine hours. Mm -hmm. And that's awesome. I love that. I have a question for you yeah. as leaders of your company. Yes. When you think about the factory of the future, what really comes to your mind? Like, what are those core strategies that you think make the mosaic I can answer. of that? I can answer first. because <laughs> I don't know if I can answer because it seems like we're going so fast lately. Yeah, there's so much stuff. But I think as an umbrella statement, there's no value in collecting data at all until you activate that data and use it to drive business performance. So the factory of the future doesn't just like have a lot of data. We already have that. And we have a lot of different ways. We talked about a bunch of different ways to collect the data, but still no value. The customer doesn't care about any of that until you like gym shop, until you show them, here's how we use the data to get more machine hours or to drive whatever this, these KPIs that mm -hmm. matter to my customer. So it's about like the activation of the data, not just yes. collecting it. Right. That, that's kind of the first thing that comes into my mind. Yeah. So I look at factory of the future. It's combining your processes with technology, with your people. Because none of this works if you don't have the right people in the right places. 100%. Right? So you've got to have, it's like a three-legged stool, right? You remove one of them, it's going to fall over. Totally. So the factory of the future combines all of those. And one of the things, if you ever hear like the politicians in Illinois say they want to tax robots or things like that, they just don't understand that... Yes, they may get rid of the jobs where someone's just moving apart from what location A to location B. Yeah, the jobs B. nobody wants to do anyway. The jobs nobody wants to do. But what you are going to end up having is a more skilled, highly trained workforce because guess what? The, the robots don't set themselves up. Right. right. The robots don't keep themselves running. Unless you're going to spend a ton of money, the robots won't do the quality 
portion of it. They won't be measuring the parts. Right. Again, unless you spend a lot of money. Right, right. Right. But it creates a better, more valuable career. Right. So you got to look at this as a well-rounded, three-legged stool. And what are we lacking? Right. So Factory of the Future incorporates all that with the base understanding of you've got to do more with less. I love that. Yes. And I could not agree more. I would just say everything to me that I'm seeing lately is screaming automation and whatever those tools, that technology is that you're using. I've never, ever felt like I made a bad decision by investing in technology Mm -hmm. in the last five to 10 years. So it was a tough decision to Mm -hmm. even go with Amper. And I said, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try. Buying a CMM, buying a RoboJob, buying a palletized CNC. These are all things that I knew we had to do because Amper, quite frankly, was driving us to that. That's mm-hmm. how we knew to buy more mm-hmm. automation is because we saw the numbers. We were blown away. See, that's one of the points Tom yes. made too. Yes, exactly. Yeah. We were just blown away by the numbers. Like, oh my God, we got to get 10 more machines tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because that's what where you're making your money. Yeah. Guys, you know how I know we have the best sponsors? Why is that, Nick? Well, we're looking at it right here. Well, when you log on to messaging boards and Facebook groups and you see customer testimonials like this, the proof is in the pudding. So let's just read a couple. This guy named James, Pro Shop changed my life, totally digital and paperless. Well, here's the big transformation when people talk about their gray hair. Yeah, yeah. Like me. Was a complete game changer. Six months in, there's life before Pro Shop and life after Pro Shop. I would have less gray hair if we tried this five years ago. So how do you retain that non-gray hair, that color in your hair, Nick? You go to ProShopERP.com. So to kind of wrap up here, because it's been a really long episode, but a really good one too. Yeah, um, I agree. There's this big event that we all know about where you can learn about the factory of the future. You want to tell us a little bit about it, Jim? I can. It's called IMTS 2022. It's September 12th through September 16th, downtown Chicago, McCormick Place. It's been happening every other year for decades, even like World War one era. Where they got that ID grinder. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Where they picked that up. I think 2020 was the only year or one of the second years that they could not have the conference. Because of the pandemic. Yeah. The pandemic was one. But I'm excited to share that we, you, Jason, myself, the Making Chips co-hosts are going to be showing up at the Amper booth in the East Building. It's booth 135685 on Monday, September 12th at three o'clock and Wednesday, September 14th at 3.30. We're going to be there. Akshad's marketing person, Abby's got this cool thing that we're going to do. If you come and take a picture with uh, the three of us co-hosts and post it on social and tag us, there's going to be a cool swag bag she's going to be giving away. Did you know that, Nick? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, it was fun creating that yeah. whole campaign together. So come and see us. We're going to be doing one of the days on the Grand Concourse yeah, stage. Yeah, we, we have talking, our own thing. We we're have, going to be talking about automation, too. Yeah, so we have three live shows, of just the Making Chips guys on the Grand Concourse, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Uh, mine is going to be about automation. Yours is going to be about this topic, yes. machine monitoring. Yep. And Jason's you might, you might be, hear some familiar voices. That yeah, day. and Jason's going to be kind of summarizing all the new technology for the factory of the future. Great. And with the factory of the future, we can make chips because if you're not making chips, you are not making money. Bam. Bam. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. 
so, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution, and many of them are at makingchips.com.